Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Online audiences are increasingly elusive, and banner ads no longer make the grade. Your brand can accelerate customer engagement and acquisition through native advertising with Stack Adapt, the number one programmatic native advertising platform. Visit stackadapt.com. That's S-T-A-C-K-A-D-A-P-T.com. You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. It's the Adweek podcast where we talk about marketing, media, advertising, technology, pop culture, because in the end, everything is an ad. I'm David Greiner. I'm the creative and innovation editor with Adweek and very excited to have back Christina Monlos. A, uh, for, you were on like every episode for a long time, but uh, since you moved to Rhode Island, we don't hear from you as much. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Um, yeah, since you know moving to Rhode Island, we also created a new magazine. Well, brought back a magazine. We'll talk about that later. Uh, yeah. But that's what I've been up to. Also, I had a crappy mic before, but now this mic I should sound better than the last time it's I was on. Slightly less crappy, Mike. Slightly. Uh, and uh, <laughs> we've, uh, but it's great to have you back. Christina is our brand marketing editor for Adweek uh, and uh, and uh, very involved in Brand Week, which we're going to be talking about, which is both a big event happening this week and also a uh, print magazine that, as she mentions, we have brought back. Also here to talk about that is her colleague on the brand marketing team, Katie Richards. Katie is a staff writer on the beat and is great to have you back. Hello, thank you for having me back. All right. Uh, well, we have a lot to cover today. We're going to talk about a bit of news and this week's ads worth watching. And then, yeah, we're going to catch folks up on Brand Week. And for those of you who've been in the industry for a while, you may remember it from uh, when, back when we used to have Brand Week and Media Week and Ad Week. We're all separate magazines. They've kind of been uh, slammed together for the last few years, all under the Ad Week umbrella. Uh, but Brand Week has been reborn in a really cool new way. So we're going to be talking about that. Uh, but first, the news. Speaking of uh, brand marketing, uh, Christina, I wanted to have you talk a little bit about uh, our roundup that we did on how brands were kind of quietly helping the relief effort after Hurricane Florence hit the East Coast. Um, and this is something that some of these may not be new, but it was kind of fascinating to see how many brands were really involved in uh, in just the aid effort of, of helping get people food and water and shelter. Uh, so tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So one thing, if you've seen any of the Budweiser ads about how they, you know, will stop beer production and use can, um, use the their facilities to can water, like that's something you might have already known about. They did the same thing for Florence um, to help with the Carolinas. Um, But one of the things that you'll learn in this story um, from Robert Clara is, is how often these brands will also be working with like a faith-based nonprofit. Um, 
it turns out that, you know, uh, religion is, is, ends up being a big part of, of these relief efforts, which was surprising to me. I guess it shouldn't be, but, uh, you know, I don't know, cold New Englanders, (laughs) I, I, well, uh, it, I it's also know. you don't see a lot of you don't no. see a lot of brands brands partnering with you know religious organizations exactly generally. exactly um I, i'm not gonna br- blame new england for that <laughs> for not knowing <laughs> that um but yeah it's it's one of those things where you you don't often hear that something like that and then you know um you know, tied with its Loads of Hope program uh, was working with this Matthew 25 colon ministries um, to set up a program. And, you know, it's it's one of those things where, like, you don't really think about all of the hoops and all of the different ways that, you know, people need help and how that all comes about. Because you just, you know, you hear to donate to Red Cross and then you hear people talking about how you shouldn't donate to Red Cross, which is a whole thing that you can, you can Google it. And I don't need to tell you about the, the Red Cross issues that people have. But there are, um, you know, you just think of like FEMA will do these things. But a lot of the time, uh, it seems like, you know, FEMA wouldn't have nearly the the things that they need to help people without brands participating. So you guys, all of this is to say that sometimes <laughs> brands can do good things. Sometimes. So, uh, yeah, sometimes. Uh, what were some of the other brands? Uh, Home Depot was in there? Home Depot was in there. Um, let's see. I think Waffle House was in there. Um, oh, they, the the Waffle House Index was my favorite part. So, yeah. so this this rating system that emergency relief uh, mm-hmm. you know organizations use to determine how bad a situation is based on whether the Waffle Houses in that area are closed. Mm-hmm. Uh, which <laughs> a, anyone who lives in, as I do, anyone who lives in the Waffle House region of the United States, uh, generally the the Southeast, knows that Waffle House never closes unless the <laughs> doomsday is upon you. <laughs> Yeah, um, we will know the apocalypse is happening when all of the Waffle Houses are closed, I guess. Uh, I don't even know if they had locks on the Waffle House at my that I used to go to. I remember like they had to close for a mandatory cleaning day once when I was in high school and like they they realized that their lock didn't actually do anything. What? <laughs> so, so, <laughs> oh like my they had God. just they I mean it's open 24 hours. They had never needed it. Um and, <laughs> So the uh, you know one uh, one that came up I believe after uh, we closed this story but then got some publicity is the Denny's Mobile Diner. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Denny's had this really you know kind of gloriously branded semi uh, that would drive around and provide food uh, for people in the affected areas. Uh, so yeah, I mean it was very clearly a trend, and I, I feel like. You know, I doubt this is necessarily new, certainly of brands pitching in, but it just seemed so much more of a thing this Mm -hmm. time around, like more so than we've ever seen in any kind of uh, disaster. I almost wonder um, if, you know, just just given the attention that we've had over the last year with the horrible, horrible things that happened with Puerto Rico, um, I almost wonder if if brands are paying more attention or stepping up more or offering more. And that's just me, you know, uh, wondering out loud. I don't know if they are. I don't know if anything is different. But I do I, I do wonder if like, you know, if that changed things just to push these brands to be more um, vocal about what they do and also do more. Maybe because it does seem like they're doing more. I don't know. Yeah, 
Katie, how do you think they walk this line? What is the best way to walk a line of like pitching in like this without seeming opportunistic or like, you know what I mean? Like you're kind of profiting or your brand is benefiting from a disaster. You know, what's the best way for brands to walk that line? I don't know. It always feels really icky to me when a brand is like, look at all of this stuff that we've done to help people in need and like almost like capitalizing, using their marketing to capitalize on other people's misfortunes. That always feels really icky to me. So I don't really have a, I don't really have an answer. Like I think stuff like this, like natural press coverage kind of is a great way for them if they can like, you know, low key pitch what they're doing to media. But I always feel weird when I see an ad from like Home Depot and they're just like, hey, we're helping people in need. And like you see all these terrible photos and images of all this destruction. It just always makes me feel weird. Yeah. And, and, you know, I thought it was interesting that uh, Robert's story, you know, in the headline says, you know, these brands quietly helped. And I think that was a big part of it. Right, Christina, that that they're not they're not like out there shouting about how great they are. Yeah, I don't think I don't think any of the brands should shout what they're doing, especially because like when, you know, take the dominoes thing, for example, of like paving potholes, when brands do shout about those things, then there are a lot of people who are like, well, why should we have to have brands fix these things for us? Why don't we have the things that we need, you know, as people and like, yeah, okay, brands um, shouldn't be in that position, we should as a country and society be able to provide for our people as needed obviously but then you know brands do help these things and the only way you kind of get brands to keep doing these things is when people then care about what the brands do it is a terrible cycle And one I don't have any answers for, but, you know, if I did, I wouldn't be saying them on this podcast. I'd be getting someone to pay me for those (laughs) answers. That's your next career move. Uh, But yeah, yeah. it's super weird. Everything is weird. I don't know. But help people is, is really where I land on these things. Like, if, if these things can help people, then help people. I don't know. Brands are terrible, so they should help people. Yeah, the um the you know, we've seen this come up a lot and paving the Domino's paving for pizza is a great example that and there was another one that's just slipping out of my mind right now that came around you know, came up again in the last few weeks. And, you know, there is this like angry, angry backlash. And and sometimes I wonder like, who are you angry at? Because like they're they're not mad at Domino's for paving the potholes. And and they're not, you know, it's like you know, they just say, Oh, but but the government should be doing this. And the government's like, well, we are doing it, but we're not going to say no to more money to help <laughs> us do it faster. You know, and that's mm-hmm. like we talked about the balance of how those cities that did accept Domino's, you know, in the end, like Domino's, it was like it's a five thousand dollar grant, you know, to a city. That's all yeah. it is. And so like people who got really fired up about that. I'm just like, man, if a brand is willing to give five thousand, whether it's to nonprofits or to cities to help do stuff like you know, I don't know if we should be screaming angrily about it. Um, but on the on the other hand, it's worth, you know, it's worth pressing for like, well, if, if our town has gotten so bad where you can't drive down the rolls without, roads without destroying your pizza, maybe we have bigger problems with our funding. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. but 
Anyway, uh, well, I definitely encourage everyone to check out Robert Clara's story. Uh, the headline is, After Hurricane Florence Made Landfall, These Brands Quietly Helped the Relief Effort. Uh, and uh, yeah, definitely check that out. The other news I want to talk about, just because this is an agency that's certainly been in the news uh, recently, uh, Widening Kennedy has changed up their global leadership team. Uh, they are, of course, uh, the global agency that uh, was behind Nike's Colin Kaepernick ad and the Just Do It campaign. They have been Nike's uh, partner for 30 years now. Uh, and are really best known. They're based in Portland, they're in Oregon, alongside Nike, and they're best known for that. Uh, they were also our Global Agency of the Year uh, this year for their work that they did with Instagram and for winning uh, just a, a slew of major new business wins like uh, Lyft and Airbnb. Uh, and so they've they've kind of had been crushing it in general, uh, but uh, they changed up their leadership structure a bit, which normally, uh, you know, not a big thing. Nobody really cares about agencies, but, but you know, especially with how much Wyden has been in the, the spotlight lately, uh, but also the people involved. So uh, they, they named two co-presidents. Uh, and what's interesting is they promoted one of their global CCOs. So they had two global CCOs, Colleen DeCourcy uh, and Susan Hoffman. And they, they're promoting Colleen to co-president uh, and bringing back a guy named Tom Blessington, who I believe has been at uh, Google. I don't, I don't have it in front of me. Uh, or maybe he's been at YouTube, I, I think. Uh, and uh, they're going to be co-presidents together. Not Not something you see all that often in the sense of creative chiefs becoming presidents of agencies. Like sometimes they found agencies and, you know, run it from day one. But it's not often that that's like the ladder of, of growth. Um, and... Susan Hoffman, who, as I said, has been co-CCO, uh, she will join the current president, Dave Luer, as uh, basically chair people. I never know the, you know, like what you call it. Dave Luer's been chairman. Now they're going to have like three chairs uh, kind of helping as a board of directors for Wyden. It's going to be uh, Dave Luer, who's been president, Susan Hoffman, and then Dan Wyden, the namesake of uh, Wyden and Kennedy. And uh, I think they've also promoted uh, their uh, – uh, Chief Operating Officer Neil Christie in London is going to be their uh, CEO in London. So this is the, the biggest move they've made in several years, but also kind of reflects the fact that Wyden uh, has been on just a, like I said, a hell of a creative tear and business growth. Uh, and a lot of it, you know, a lot of it gets attributed to Colleen. I mean, I think Colleen DeCourcy is certainly one of the most iconic figures in advertising. It was really fascinating seeing her at Cannes this year and seeing how people respond to her just on the street or at events you know it's like she has this kind of gravitational pull that especially uh you know to say i i feel like young women and and young i mean like under like 30 or 40 really have re you know colleen has really resonated with them because she has this very uh she really has her finger on the pulse of me too of uh kind of how of times up advertising uh, and just creativity in general of where it's headed and kind of breaking away from this, you know, Mad Men era and the, the 90s and all the kind of the very male-centric uh, advertising point of view. Uh, so with that, I'm just kind of curious, uh, you know, Katie, I assume you've crossed paths with Colleen quite a bit. Uh, what, what's your take on her and, and kind of what she might bring to that role of uh, co-president of Wyden? I've actually never met her before um, or interviewed her, so I've only kind of read about her through the coverage that we've done um, and just kind of what other people have said about her. But just kind of looking at some of the work that the agency has done recently, I mean, I think it's an exciting move for them and they're heading in a really great direction. But um, yeah, never really had the chance to get to know her that well. 
I haven't Kristen, gotten have, to know her either, but I did think when, you know, Patrick was putting this story together, um, or at least when we like sent out the news alert, I thought I was going to read about how Colleen DeCourcy was leaving to start her own agency. Um, <laughs> you know, this just seems like a smart move by Wyden to retain one of their, you know, top creatives who, you know, every, as you've said, everyone loves her and she just seems to be at a really great point in her career. Um, also, uh, just to clarify, he is, uh, Blessington was at YouTube. And then um, the other thing I wanted to say is for, a, for um, I wonder if someone's going to pull out that you said, no one cares about agencies as a pull quote <laughs> <I lulled at> that. <laughs> from this podcast I episode. Chuckled. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, Colleen DeCourcy is amazing and, you know, admiring her career from afar has definitely, um, been really cool. Um, and not to reduce anyone to their style, but if you have seen her at Cannes, she's like always wearing these incredible flowy sort of white linen, amazing outfits where you're like, oh man, I want that. I want to look cool like that. <laughs> I want to be able to pull that off and be an amazing creative. Yeah. Anyway. So, so like, like she is to you as John Hegarty is to me. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I just, I'm just like, man, I want to look. I want to, I want to look like John Hegarty. Um, well, congrats to uh, to both Colleen and Tom and to Wyden uh, has had just uh, you know a heck of a run. Like I said, for the last two years, Wyden has been always a fascinating. They're an independent agency uh, that so no shareholders to uh, to answer to, and so because of that, they make they make a lot of business decisions, and they have over the years that I think your corporate ad agencies might not make because it means you know giving up profit. Uh, and they've been maybe a little more selective with uh, with clients and and given up some accounts that a lot of you know a lot of agencies would not have voluntarily given up, uh, and you know it's it's paid off for them. I, I think it hasn't always. There have been several years where they just were kind of off the radar. And uh, you know many of you listening may remember the Old Spice work uh, from you know almost a, what a decade ago now uh, for with Isaiah Mustafa and the Hello Ladies, and that was so iconic at, at the time and really just widen was everywhere just everywhere for a few years there and then kind of went quiet and you know still popped up still did a bunch of good old spice work and of course always knocking out good nike uh but the last two years they've just been uh kind of everywhere uh and and really getting a lot of attention uh and so you know it'll be interesting to see what they do over the the rest of this year nike they're still they're rolling out more just do it ads like two a week uh, that that's 30th anniversary is going strong for them. They had one this past week with Elliot Kipchoge, uh, who was the Kenyan uh, runner who did the breaking two feature that some of you may remember where they tried to run a marathon in less than two hours. We did a special podcast episode interviewing Nike about that one. And uh, he is now uh, to kind of the prediction that came up on that podcast uh, where Nike said, we think that this project, even though it failed, we think it will have like a big impact on marathon running uh, moving forward. And uh, sure enough, uh, he shattered the world record and didn't run it in under two hours, but whew, uh, really shaved off quite a bit of time. It's just barely over two hours. Uh, Katie, you're a marathon runner. Uh, you're pretty close to that, right? Like, oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. I can easily two hours and like two that. minutes. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm at like, I don't even know, like 14 miles at that point. So it's very <laughs> impressive. I was also really into that Nike ad. It, I, I loved that one a lot. Um, it was very powerful. 
yeah, the uh, it's it, I I don't run unless I'm chased, and so like you know it's it's I don't always get into running ads, but the you know Nike finds a way with a lot of these sports, even if you don't care, even if you're not into it. Uh, either through the personalities or through the, you know, just the creative concept. Uh, they, they find a way to draw you in. So, all right. Well, it is, uh, speaking of which, time to move on to uh, this week's Ads Worth Watching. All right. This week, we've got a political ad. But wait, don't turn off the podcast. It's an actual good political ad. And it's not even all that partisan. I mean, I guess it is. It's certainly, it's a Democrat picking on a Republican, but in a way that I don't think really... Uh, upsets anybody too much, or if it does, maybe we've become a little too sensitive. Uh, this is uh, from a race in Minnesota, a congressional race, uh, which uh, seems to be very, very close. Uh, and in fact, it's a five-term incumbent, a Republican incumbent, who last I saw is, uh, is polling below his Democratic competitor, a guy named Dean Phillips. Uh, and Dean Phillips rolled out an ad. Uh, <laughs> let, let's just Let's just go and listen to it because I think the intro will uh, will make it uh, pretty obvious. You can just I will set up the stage just to say that uh, what you see at first is Bigfoot uh, sitting in a room being interviewed, as in yes, literally Bigfoot. So here you go. <laughs> I thought I was good at hiding. Well, and there Paulson comes along. I mean, how can you have tens of thousands of people looking for you all the time and not one of them find you? I started to wonder, did Eric Paulson really exist? I mean, I mean, where's the proof? Some blurry photo taken from miles away? Well, I had to know, so I had to come up with a plan. Paulson takes piles of money from Big Pharma and votes to erode essential health care protections. So, the most likely place to find him is at the big pharmaceutical company. And that's where I went. So, from there, Bigfoot goes on to explain that, uh, you know, he set up a local, you know, he tracked this congressman down to a, a big pharma company, uh, kind of poking at how he takes large donations from pharma, and then got this like shaky footage with a camera of the congressman passing through the room. Uh, and it looks exactly like, you know, the classic like Bigfoot walking past footage on shaky cam. But uh, I just, I love this ad. I think it was just so refreshing. I really don't care which party it's for. It was just so refreshing to have a political ad that wasn't just screaming at you and you know the acting was good uh it, it just all in all like felt like a you know it was enjoyable and it kind of made its point without beating you over the head with it uh, uh christina what'd you think of this one? Oh, i really enjoyed it i have a lot of questions um i would really like to know who was responsible for the costumes um or just one costume i just guess the one costume yeah. um and like what you know, how long was that actor sitting? Was it the actor or was it the guy who's running? I'm confused by that. <laughs> I don't um, think it was, I don't think it was Dean Phillips in the Bigfoot costume. I mean, is Dean Phillips that tall? A lot of questions, as I said. But, um, you know, how long was that person in the makeup chair? Because it looked good. So good. Like, it looked really good. I was surprised. I was entertained. I, you know, there was a... There was story to the ad, you know? It was not only about how elusive Bigfoot is and how elusive um, Eric Paulson is, but, you know, you got the thrill of Bigfoot catching someone. 
ridiculous, hilarious. I loved it. It 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 almost stops my heart when the actor like almost literally drops that vintage camera <laughs> I know. that he's using. Like he like fumbles with it when he's surprised to see Paul's and part of me is just like, I bet that is a legit camera that they borrowed from somebody. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Oh. Also, like, does that camera still work? I, yeah. so I mean, clearly, questions. it has well, footage, right? You can edit footage. <laughs> <laughs> what well, ads aren't always real? <laughs> um, Shocking. Uh, I I should just quickly mention that this is from. It was volunteered by uh, an agency called Hunt Adkins. The two guys who run it, Patrick Hunt and Doug Adkins. Uh, created the ad. Uh, it was directed by Jim Stanger of uh, G- Channel Z Production and uh, says Greg Winter served as director of photography. Uh, so, you know, these small small congressional ads are rarely really worth watching. Or when they are, they're usually like super emotional. You know, it's like the Doors ad out of Texas, and uh, which I think was MJ Hager. And, you know, there's been a few others. Uh, uh, Ocasio-Cortez had one. You know, it's but usually they're like these really emotional, just like why I'm running and why you should uh, join this movement, this very kind of Bernie Sanders vibe of, you know, join this this bigger thing. This one was kind of a nice change from that. Uh, Katie, what did you think? Yeah, I was a big fan. It was I thought it was creative. It was funny. Um I particularly like the part where he goes into the big pharma office and he's like, it took seven minutes for him to show up or like something ridiculous <laughs> like that. Um, and then he and then he like grins. Yeah. He's just like, it took seven minutes. Um, yeah, I was a fan. I also have many questions like Christina. Uh, I think the person who did this costume should win some award because it's spectacular. Yeah, and I don't even know. It's just great. Yeah, it's like you would think a campaign ad on a budget, especially one done pro bono, you would think that like any costuming would just be such an afterthought and they would probably just lean into it. But no, it's legitimately good. Yep. It's so good. <laughs> like movie it's quality so good. good. And, yeah. and there's just there's little acting bits that I really appreciate. Like near near the end, he goes like, take it from me, Bigfoot. <laughs> just like the way he says it, it's like you know just like i bigfoot uh feel strongly about this but it's maybe the only campaign ad i've shown recently to my children where i was like come here you'll like this and they they were oh, all man. into it uh, i so. want an investigative series where we're following bigfoot like honestly whoever that actor is whoever that costume person is like you know the political part of this ad obviously that's great you know everything about the concept good stuff but Bigfoot as person, as like a person investigating stuff and running around and fumbling with a camera, like, let's go. I'm ready. I'm on board. Netflix, ink it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, ads have turned into TV shows before. uh, There's worse concepts out there. Uh, All right. (laughs) Well... That is uh, that is uh, this week's ad worth watching. We're going to leave plenty of room for the big discussion of the week as we talk about Brand Week. First, we're going to take a little break, and then we'll be back to talk all things Brand Week. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Stack Adapt, the number one programmatic native advertising platform with the right tools for navigating the complexities of digital media. Stack Adapt offers real-time forecasting, hyper-granular reporting, and more. Visit stackadapt.com. That's S-T-A-C-K-A-D-A-P-T dot com. All right. So at the top of the show, I mentioned that Brand Week used to, uh, for quite a few years, uh, be a print magazine. Uh, and I think it even at one point had its own website. So there was like Brand Week and then Ad Week and Media Week. We were all, uh, you know, same team, all working side by side. Uh, but uh, 
Christina, how long has it been since we merged the magazines? I think it was 2011. It's been a while. That sounds right. And uh, so, you know, I think uh, at some point it's just decided these worlds have all collided uh, so much. You know, brands and advertising and media, it was all just one big uh, smorgasbord. So uh, we, it all fell under the uh, umbrella of Adweek uh, and one website. And that's kind of how we've been uh, for, you know, the last uh, – seven years or so. Uh, but uh, we're, we're bringing back Brand Week uh, in two incarnations, one as an event kicking off uh, probably today uh, when you listen to this on Monday, and uh, and also a print edition, which also came out this week for the first time in quite a few years. Uh, first, let's talk about the event. Uh, Christina, tell us a bit about Brand Week and how it's different from, you know, say, a, a can or any of these other big events that, that most people might know about. Yeah, well, if you're listening to this podcast, and if you've met Danny, who runs our events business, then you know that Brand Week is not a conference. It's a movement, which is the pitch line that I have delivered uh, with, you know, the subtlety of uh, a horse. I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with that. But <laughs> <laughs> Christina, the, the, the horse stalker. Um, yeah, well, and, I, and I think the thinking behind that, right, has been that that we didn't want to just launch another thing where there's like 25 no. panels of like three people and one moderator and just more. I mean, there's there's plenty of those. No, yeah. No real shortage of no need for more that. conferences. So it's uh, like, ste- te- wow, words. <laughs> um, it's like te- TED style talks by, um, you know, a bunch of people, uh, you know, Mark Marketers from Target to, you know, Bumble to uh, who else is there? Um, Casper. Dollar Shave Club. Club. Yeah. So it's, you know, TED style talks from folks like that. And then you have, you know, the comedic and marketing genius of Kevin Hart, who is on the cover of this week's Ad Week um, to rep Brand Week. It's going to get confusing, guys. But... (laughs) Just stay with us. There's Brand Week, the event, Brand Week, the magazine, and then Ad Week that will be at Brand Week. You guys. (laughs) It's okay. Um, But yeah, so we have, you know, we have Kevin Hart who will be there. um, And then, you know, a bunch of lessons to be learned uh, from from different marketers. Uh, If you've seen the like super shiny, really pretty pieces of luggage uh, from that startup away, Jen Rubio, the chief brand officer, will be there. And guess what, guys? She's on the cover of the Brand Week that will be at Brand Week, the event. So let's go back to Kevin Hart for a minute. He's mm-hmm. going to be keynote speaker at Brand Week. Uh, he's also on the cover, as you mentioned, of Ad Week. Uh, why Kevin Hart? Kevin Hart, uh, if you haven't realized, is actually a marketing ways in and of himself. Like he not only is able to promote events uh, that he is hosting himself, you know, like his comedy tour and all of that sort of stuff, and he has a number of brand deals. But he's able to, like, make you feel excited about him promoting something. If you are one of the 62.4 million people who follow him on Instagram, then you know that he somehow makes the press uh, the press promo tour cycle feel exciting. He's smart about the way that he does these things, and he's able to be everywhere and in your face about it without it feeling gross, which is... A skill. And so he's, you know, going to be talking about that sort of stuff and, you know, just, uh, I guess, having fun with your brand, 
because he knows how to do that. You know, I've been saying lately, like, Kevin Hart is everywhere. And then I was at a conference uh, last week in Columbus, Ohio, and we're getting ready to go to dinner. And there's this nice, you know, big SUV sitting out front. Mm -hmm. And someone goes, Kevin Hart's in there. And I was like, he is literally, literally everywhere. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's amazing. I, uh, you know, he's been in so many ads um, Mm -hmm. in the last few years. And he's he's good. He never phones it in, you know, which is kind of my one bar for a celebrity is like, you can tell when they are just... When they're just taking the check and and going through it. And Kevin Hart, like, he always brings this, like, even if you don't like him, you know, if you're not into his style of comedy, you kind of have to give it to him that, uh, like, he was in that uh, that Nike ad where the world stops turning Mm -hmm. and everybody's running and he's, like, running the wrong way. Yeah. And he's like, why Why are we all going this way? <laughs> and then at the end, it turns out he's right. And they were all running in the wrong direction. <laughs> and just he has these like little and mm-hmm. I'll, I'll never forget that Madden ad he was in with uh, one of the Franco brothers, the the young one. And Dave uh, he's Franco, like, the better Franco. <laughs> yeah, Franco. Yeah. Yeah. These days, probably. I'm, I'm not up to speed on any kind of accusations or anything. So I, n- I never know. Never know. And uh, the he's like stalking Franco. Mm-hmm. And, like, haunting him and, like, showing up at his house in the middle of the night. Well, the thing about Kevin Hart is that he's, like, not just, he's he's not just able to, like, take, you know, some ad where he's going to be the star of that ad and make it sing. Like, he's able to do that. And that's why you see him in a lot of these things. But he also has these ideas and he figures, he's, like, smart about marketing himself. He, um, if you've seen this series that he does, uh, that's sponsored by Old Spice, it's called Cold as Balls, and it's, like, him dipping his slight frame into an ice bath in a locker room next to athletes, and he interviews those athletes, and he's a great interviewer because he's asking people very, you know, pointed and invasive questions, and it doesn't seem like they're pointed or invasive, um... But he came up with that idea. He and his team um, at his network, the the Laugh Out Loud comedy network that he has in a joint partnership with Lionsgate, um, you know, they came up with that and they brought that to Old Spice and then they went with it from there. And so it's not too often that you hear about celebrities, you know, a lot of celebrities like have deals, are working with brands, are, you know, trying to get into the marketing space because brands have money, but you don't hear about too many of them who like come up with the concepts themselves and like really go from there, you know? Yeah. One of the other uh, folks I wanted to discuss briefly, Alexandria Williamson uh, from Bumble. Uh, I, I don't think any of us are on the market these days, but uh, but Bumble is still kind of a fascinating uh, dating app. Uh, tell us a, a bit, um, you know, either of you, I'm just kind of curious, uh, what is it about Bumble that has kind of set them apart? Cause there's so many dating apps, and I'm always curious how each one kind of carves out a niche for them. What What is Bumble known for these days? Well, I think what they were first really known for was the fact that it was, um, you know, it's a it's a dating app, but the way it's set up is that women you like match with someone, but then only the the woman can reach out first. So it kind of was like empowering women to make the first move and just kind of like put the power in their hands to uh, start a conversation if they wanted to or not. Um, and so I think that was something that really, at least people, you know, my age. My friends were really into that when Bumble first came on the scene. Um, And I know they've also, like, opened it up so it's not just about dating anymore. Like, you can find 
friends on Bumble. You can, I think there's like a professional side to it too, um, just like finding friendly contacts that are in your field. Um, and I think, you know, that's something that a Tinder maybe doesn't have. I'm not quite sure, but I'm just imagining that they don't have, Tinder doesn't well, have a networking side. It's it's kind of amazing when you think about being able to transition a dating app um, into something where, you know, people will go back to that regularly. Because you could always use a new professional contact and you could always use a new friend. But if a dating app works, then you shouldn't be on it that much. Right. Like, you should be able to find a good match. So I think it's like a really smart positioning on Bumble's part to be like, ooh, no, you guys, you might find someone on here who you could be with, and we're happy for you, but also we're going to provide these other forums for you because we need you on our app. Yeah. Then they've also done some really cool stuff um, with, like, other brands as well. Like, I know they did a big partnership with HBO recently um, Mm -hmm. where they, like, transformed a New York City brownstone into, like, a stay-at-home movie experience thing where they invited, I'm assuming, single people to come and, like, mingle and watch movies that were going to be on HBO and just, like, kind of clever ways to activate and, like, give a digital brand a physical presence. I think they've done some cool stuff. Yeah. Did you ever stop by their their spot at South By? No, I didn't, but it looked so cool. It was cool. cool. Yeah. It was pretty. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If Bumble's, you know, activating at an event near you, I would say it is worth checking out. Yeah. Is it like is it like beehive themed, like yellow yeah. and, and there hexagonal? Was that. There was that. That was there. <laughs> um, I'll I'll send you a, a picture, but uh, yeah, it's cute. Nice. Uh, what are are there any kind of you know not to say obscure, but any of the maybe not as well known household names that you're excited about hearing about, Christina Brandwick? Uh, yeah, there was this um, like premium shoe company that I'd never heard of called M Jemmy, which I'm probably mispronouncing, um, but you know it's it's something that um, Diana Pearl, who is a new brand marketing reporter, um, that actually came to us from Katie's recommendation. Thanks, Katie. Um, but yeah she you know she's someone who's like stylish and young and she had heard of them and I hadn't because you know I've moved to New England to not care about style anymore sorry to other New Englanders on this podcast but you know what I mean it's all north faces and dance go clogs (laughs) you Um, just wear wear uh LL beads and go like clam hunting or whatever it is New Englanders do clamming it's it's just clamming Um, (laughs) but uh but yeah no um you know I'm excited to see what they have going on um you know they're they're a bunch of people. I think it'll be a really cool conference. I'm excited to speak to all of the brands that are there. Um, I'm not going to talk to them about anything other than brands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's going to be all brand all the time. Mm-hmm. Sorry, no, no other conversations. Can't do uh, it. Speaking brand. <laughs> um, the shoe space, you know, before we leave that one, it, it, that that's like a fascinating category right now. Yeah. You know, there's whether it's all birds and all because yep. I wear these I wear these very minimal um you know, just comfortable shoes. Like that's my only bar. Like I don't mm-hmm. care who the brand is. I don't really care what it I, I especially don't want it to have any sort of flourish whatsoever. And man, it is a golden age for people like me if you like basic ass shoes <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like that that fit well and feel comfortable. Um 
you know, it's it's a good time to be alive. It just seems like there's this whole startup shoe culture right now, which I'm sure there have been some, but I suddenly like I get ads for them all the time on Instagram and just like, you know, but they're all they all look the same. It's just like, here's this kind of converse looking shoe. And I'm like, cool, I'm down. I like this trend. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's that's kind of what you could say about almost every space that there is right now. Like, I feel like there are very few things that haven't been disrupted. Even fucking scooters are coming back. <laughs> like, not, sorry to uh, curse about it, but I'm just scooters, like, I'm okay. in Rhode Island and the scooters have made it here. Like, what are you doing? Why are we all about the scooter disruption now? <laughs> why what are, is this? Why are scooters but, uh, so triggering for you? <laughs> Well, you know, it's funny you say that because, like, you know, I, I was traveling a bunch last week. I was in Washington, D.C. and then in Columbus, Ohio, as I mentioned, and scooters are everywhere. And not like a bunch of people went out and bought scooters because scooters are popular. No, it's like these, what, Bird, yeah. uh, the, the scooter. Like, these companies just dumped scooters They're on every town. They're just taking up space. And, and man— Everyone hates it. Like, like every town I went to, it's all people were talking about is like, damn scooters. It's like that I've heard in D.C. Uh, no, was, I, I, I ran into a woman from the Parks Department in Columbus, and she was saying that they, the city's had complaints from like uh, blind residents tripping mm-hmm. over them. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just like left on the sidewalks. They're in, dumped in my... everywhere. I'm yeah. mad about and them. <laughs> it's not like it's not like bike racks, right? Where like everyone has their city bike, uh, you know, rental bike rental thing. Pretty much mm-hmm. most towns have those now. Yeah. But they're like they're really compartmentalized. It's just they're there. The city allowed them. Uh, you know, they're kind of taken care of. These scooters are just like left on the ground all over town. And my my city, Birmingham, Alabama, is furious about it because they didn't get a business license. They didn't check with the city for anything. And then they just, like, dumped them all over the city. So it just looks like – and, of course, if you try picking it up and moving it or whatever, it just screams at you because it yeah. thinks it's being stolen. Um, I, I My prediction is that if they haven't done it already, my town's going to drive around with a dump truck and just throw them all in it and just be like, congratulations, you're impounded. Uh, because, But it was fascinating that in one week, everywhere I went, people were just like, scooters. Yeah. <sighs> Yeah. Not only wow. are they like new scooter companies, but Uber and Lyft are getting into the scooter game. And it's just, it's pandemonium. Scooters are everywhere. I'm not about it. Yeah. No, it's not my favorite form of transit. But, but I, I think, you know, I'm like, a, I'm over 40. And I think if you're over 40 riding a scooter, there's just a special, like, sad song that plays behind in people's heads when they watch you, you know, paddle <laughs> by. But, you know, but I guess you know, good for people not burning gas. But. I bring up the scooters, not only to scream about them, but to say that, like, literally everything is being disrupted right now. Like, shoes, you know, uh, bedding, uh, even those weird, you know, uh, e- there's even like a, a disruptor to Ikea, that weird burrow thing, which great ads. I don't trust their furniture, but great ads. Um, if you've seen the borough ads, it's like every, every category possible, there is some sort of disruptor right now, which is why it is a great time to talk about brands, even if you don't like brands. And I edit a whole vertical about brands. I don't like them, but (laughs) there's a lot to talk about right now, which is why the conference, which is not a conference, but a movement and why the, uh, the magazine and, you know, why the focus on brands. Get ready. 
brands. It's coming. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I do think it's interesting, you know, that there's all this discussion right now about creative agencies and whether they're going to die off or whether they are dying off, which they've been dying off in the, like, 15 years I've been involved with them. But uh, the, you know, it, everyone just says, like, brands are, are the one area that are safe. Like, you know, brands aren't going anywhere. Like there will always be a client and they will move stuff in house. They will, but it's the one real consistent, you know, versus agencies, they may change. Consultancies may buy them. They may, you know, creative may move in house. Uh, media may start doing, media is doing creativity. Media may move in house. I like, we just heard about yet another uh, mm -hmm. brand is launching, is launching a print magazine. Um, so, you know, it's, it, it's such a weird landscape right now, but it does seem like brand marketing, you know, from the client side is the one area that's really booming uh, and is probably a safe, like safe investment to focus if you're going to focus on anybody. Uh, yeah. like if I were going to if I were going to start like a, you know, a startup or a piece of software or something, I'd be like, it's for brands because mm -hmm. who knows what agencies and media are going to look like. You know, a few I years mean, from now. even Vimeo just started a stock photography um, thing and stock footage, you know, uh, Thing, and all of that is for brands, you know, it's for mm. creators, but you know, everyone's talking about how brands are making all of this content right now. And to be able to make content at scale, you need certain things. And one of those is like premium, beautiful stock footage, like even, even on a, on a level of just like being able to provide what brands need to produce what they do right now. It's interesting there. Um, there's disruption in that space. So I don't know. Check out all of the brand week stuff, you guys, because there's going to be yeah. a lot. The um, and tell us, uh, we're almost out of time, but tell us uh, what's one really good article in the brand week in the new uh, revived print edition. What's a what's an article people should look for? Uh, well, our cover story is on away and the growth around that. Um, you know that luggage brand that made luggage sexy again. Uh, which is kind of amazing. Robert Clara wrote a, a wonderful story about that. Um, given that uh, Brand Week is itself a comeback kid, we have a we have a piece from T.L. Stanley about uh, ten comeback brands, um, which gets into you know everything from Domino's to Levi's to even Twitter. It's kind of a comeback. So you should check out that one. Katie um, did a deep dive into uh, the retail revamp of of the Target spaces and like what that's going to do for, for that company. Um, do you want to touch on a little bit more of that, K-Rich? Sure, yeah, I can keep it brief. But uh, basically, I, I just kind of looked at, so Target's remodeling over a thousand of their 1800 plus stores and it's like a they in 2017 they invested like a crazy amount of money into this three-year plan where they're going to revamp the entire shopping experience for people and so I did kind of a really deep dive into some of the design choices that they made in the stores um, so now a lot of the new stores have like two separate entrances one for people who have like 10 minutes to shop they just need to grab something and go to people who have like 45 minutes to shop and that's called the inspiration entrance and there's a ton like a bunch of mannequins a lot of displays it's all about kind of inspiring people to buy more things as you can easily do at Target um, and just like a whole bunch of other things from lighting to floor design just really looking at how they're how they're thinking about keeping customers in stores longer and getting more customers in stores. 
Yeah, and then the last thing is uh, I got the uh, CMOs of Burger King and Budweiser to interview each other. And then once we got on the phone, realized that they had worked together uh, at uh, Unilever in Brazil. So it was a very fun conversation that was actually pretty insightful where they were talking about, you know, the most important thing for agencies today is not necessarily that they, you know, have the best ideas, but that they can collaborate with all the other agencies because it's about having a roster and not an agency of record, which maybe isn't a new idea, um, you know people haven't really been, you know, announcing agencies of record in a while. But, you know, to hear to hear uh, people behind two major brands with really cool marketing right now just talking about what the most important thing was when it comes to um, agency relationships. I mean, that that's, you know, really interesting, especially for our audience. And there's a lot of little nuggets like that in there. Um, it's also just lovely for me to be like, you two, interview each other. <laughs> Have yeah. at it. <laughs> All right. Uh, is that are those articles going to be on adweek.com or where, they will where do people be find on us? adweek.com. Um, you could go to adweek.com slash brand dash marketing, or you can go to adweek.com slash brand week and it will allegedly redirect <laughs> to yeah. the if brand all things go according to plan fingers crossed yeah all right so. uh well thank you so so much uh, to both of you christina it was great to have you back yeah it was great to be back um you know maybe next time we can tell you about all our all the musical guests who will who will be at brand week and how they were um again allegedly lauren hill will uh yes We'll be there. Yes. Very excited when, for when, that. When we announced uh, when we announced Lauren Hill was going to be performing, she has gotten a bit of a reputation uh, lately <laughs> for sh- showing up a tad late. A um, little bit, and, uh, just a tad. And so, uh, you know, we—it's just part of the excitement, right? Of like, will she or won't she? Mm-hmm. Yeah, will she, will she show up. So I can't wait to hear. Uh, Katie, thanks so much for joining yeah, us again. Thanks for having me back. Our theme music is by Home. Uh, this episode was edited by Lane McGibney and produced by Anya Fernando. Uh, please take a moment to leave a review on Apple Podcasts if you haven't already. Those reviews mean a lot to us personally, and they help new listeners discover the show. Uh, I'm David Griner with Adweek, and we will talk to you soon. Thank you.